I'm really excited. This series that we're launching into today um, actually got its origin, its birth, uh, a year over over a year ago. A year ago, May, um, I was at a conference. Uh, and it was neat. I was in Atlanta at a large pastor's conference, a national thing. There were pastors from all over the nation, all kinds of different churches, sizes, denominations, backgrounds. And it was a leadership conference for pastors. And one of the sessions uh, was titled Soul Care. Now, I made a decision the moment I read that, that I was going to be ditching that particular session. I would use that time to go cruise around Hotlanta since I hadn't been to Atlanta before and go see the sights. But uh, my, one of my best friends uh, saw that, and he got very excited. He goes, oh, I've really been researching this, and I'm excited about this. And I'm like, dude, let's ditch, because I had a picture in my head when someone says, taking care of your soul. I'm from the Bay Area originally, San Francisco area. I spent way too much time around Eugene and Springfield, and now I live just south of Seattle. And when I hear soul care, I think hippies. I think, I think bare feet, dirty, incense, like just your soul, man. And, uh, and so I get this picture in my head. And uh, some of you are offended by my picture of hippies, but I've lived around enough hippies that I feel like that's my stereotype and I'm sticking to it. And so, <laughs> but, but I had this picture in my head. I'm like, oh, it's going to be feelings and all of this stuff that I don't want to deal with feelings. I'm here to get knowledge. But he's like, we got to go. And I'm like, fine, let's go. So in this session, uh, this guy began unpacking uh, what the soul really was. And I realized I had this tension as he started talking. I'm a professional talker about a soul person. And I don't know how to define a soul. I know the soul is a thing. As a matter of fact, I could look across pop culture. I could look across uh, the, the, the face of the known earth and recognize for all of mankind's time, we've acknowledged that there is such a thing as a soul and it's a thing. As a matter of fact, we know it's a thing and we try to describe it in different ways. We've assigned that to different things like soul food. We know soul is a type of food that just makes you feel good and warm inside. We know soul music. So music gets into your core, it makes you dance, makes you feel it, it's got a rhythm to it, right? When an airplane takes off, they don't say, hey, there's 236 people on board. They say, there's 236 souls on board. As a matter of fact, that comes from the book of Acts. So we know that there's such a thing as a soul, it's all throughout pop culture. Here's what else you know. You know that you are more than just a self, you are more than just a self, that you're a soul. Here's how I know you know that. Because when you got married, or if you're not married yet, you were looking for something, and it wasn't a self-mate. You weren't like, I just need a self-mate. You complete me, self-mate. No, you were looking for a soul-mate. Someone who knew more than just the outward you, but had a picture of who you are on the inside that was connected. You knew that somehow on some level, you were more than a self. You were a soul. So if I'm a soul and a soul's a thing, it became very important to me suddenly to understand what is a soul and what does it need and how does it work? So for this series, I've been excited because in that moment, I started talking with my buddy and he's like, you've got to read this book. And I'm just going to tell you, this is a little bit different for me as a pastor. I've, I've used books as source materials because that's wise and you should do it all the time. But I am blatantly preaching this book to you for the next series. And so I recommend that you read it. I recommend that you check it out. I'll tell you in my life in the last year, other than the scriptures, there's been no book that's had a larger impact. And I read books than this particular book. As a matter of fact, I've had to read it with a highlighter. And I don't know how you read if you like to read like digitally like this. I like to read digitally too. Um, but I had to get this in hard copy because I needed to highlight and scribble on it. And then I read it again and I was like, I have to change colors on my highlighter so that I can, I can highlight other things and scribble in other places. And I'm reading it again and it's still messing me up. And so the book's called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. Um, I think we have two or three copies here at the church. You can pick one up from Allie if you want, like to buy one from her. I got mine on Amazon. Um, I bought all the used ones at one point and gave them away to all people that I knew that needed it or that would listen to me talk about it. And I just give them a book for torturing them and letting them listen to me talk about it. Um, so I don't think there's any more used ones left on Amazon unless there's a new 
new wave of them, but, uh, but you can pick them up. That's like one day delivery on Prime. It's pretty awesome. It'll be here quick. Um, but it's called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. Now, the author, John Ortberg, um, he's awesome. He's a pastor. Um, uh, he's been all over the place. At one point, he was at Willow Creek in Chicago. Um, famous dude, nice dude. But the reality is, he is literally in this book um, just writing all of the thoughts that he got from a man named Dallas Willard, um, who's a famous theologian, brilliant guy, used to be the head of uh, philosophy at USC, and a very sharp guy. So I'll quote John Ortberg. I'll quote uh, Dallas Willard. I'll quote my friend Isaac, um, because he's the one who kind of pointed me in this direction, and we've been bantering back and forth about this uh, for over a year. But I'm incredibly excited at this, because I understood suddenly that there was this hole in my game, this tension, that I understood that the soul was a thing, and I understood that it was important, and I knew that the scriptures told me that it was important, but I didn't know how to take care of my soul. I didn't know what it needed because most of the important things in my life give me warning signs when they need something. So if you have a car and you see this happen, the engine check light comes on, the battery light comes on, something like that comes on, and a warning sign hits, if that car is valuable to you, you begin to research what in the world is required because this vehicle needs something in order to go. Now, I've had junky cars before where when that light came on, I was like, well, I guess I'll just drive it till it dies, park it there, and then call a tow truck to tow, tow it to the dump, right? Like, we've had those kind of cars before. I'm not talking about that scenario. I'm talking about this car's not paid off yet, right? There's got miles that it's got to get out of this car still, and that light comes on. You suddenly are aware that there is a need that your car or your vehicle has, and so you better take care of it. Most things, the second law of thermodynamics tells us, are in a state of decay. They're moving in a direction of decay, and they require maintenance and care in order to operate at maximum capacity. And if something is valuable to you, and it requires something in order to function, you will do the work, the maintenance, to get that thing to go. But I don't know what my soul is, so how do I know how to care for it? It's a funny thing because we do take care about the things that we care about. We do take care of the things that we care about. I was thinking about when we think about our own self and taking care of ourselves. There's different levels of concern we have when it comes to taking care of ourselves. Sometimes we step on a scale and we're like, oh, I got to take care of myself. Or we walk by a mirror and we're like, whew, I better start taking care of myself. And there's a little bit of a level of concern. There's another level of concern when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, if you don't do this, these consequences will happen. And suddenly we go, this is a little more serious. I better pay a little bit more attention to this recommendation. This maintenance is actually required at a different level. There's millions of dollars that get spent advertising to us all of the things that we need to feel better about ourselves, take care of ourselves, think better about ourselves. Sometimes we hear something and we're, we're conned. In. Ever been conned into buying something that, I won't even go there. I don't want you to raise your hands. I've been conned, right? I'm like, oh, this will solve all my problems. With no work at all, my hair will all come back. I'll be in better shape. I'll be able to sing beautifully on key. I'll be taller. Like all the things in my world that I you know, could possibly want will just, you know, for 19.95, and they'll send me two of them if I pay shipping, right? And we know those things are a lie, but we also recognize that there are some things that are critically important for us so that we are okay. If we mismanage those things, then we are toast. And the soul is one of those things that Jesus and the scriptures tell us we are responsible for. We have to manage. We're responsible to take care of, but we don't always know what that means. Yet if I were to tell you that Jesus said, if you got everything else in the world but blew it with your soul, you'd be toast. You might perk up. That might get your attention. So here's Jesus talking in Mark chapter 8. And he's talking about what it means to follow him. Mark chapter 8 verse 34 says, Hey, then he called the crowd along to him and his disciples. And he said, If any of you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He says, Listen. You're going to have some responsibility on this journey if you want to follow me. You're going to have to own a piece of this. There's going to be some things that you have to do. You have to partner. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. And then look at what he says here in verse 36. 
What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his what? Yeah. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? That's a fascinating line. Now, I've been reading that line for a lot of years. And here's basically what I have read it as. What good is it, verse 36, for a man to gain the whole world? And when it says, yet forfeit his soul, I've just said, but die. But it kills him, right? That's what's been in my head most of the time. What good is it if you gain the whole world, but it kills you? What good is it if you get all the money you could ever want, all the power you could ever want, all the influence you could ever want, but you die? Guess what? All of those things that you thought you wanted, they don't satisfy you now because you're dead. I'm like, all right, Jesus, high five. I got it. I, yo comprendo, I understand what you're talking about. That makes sense to me. It's good advice. Hey, if you chase after something so badly that it kills you, mission not accomplished, brah, right? So I read it that way for a long time and I processed that that way and I thought, okay, so Jesus doesn't want me to chase things that could kill me, that will end up killing me. It, it's the death of me to pursue those things, got it. But it's funny because Jesus doesn't say that you'll die. He doesn't say, what good is it if you gain the whole world and you die? So I thought, okay, maybe I'm getting this wrong. What it really means is, what good is it if you gain the whole world, but you end up in hell? You forfeit your soul, right? That makes sense to me. I'm like, oh, now I comprehend. Now I comprendo. I got it. You're saying, what good is it if I get all the power in the world? If I get the promotion that I always wished? If I have leverage over people and I have all the authority I always wanted? If I get all the playtime that I always wanted? If I can run after any of the deviancies that maybe I want? If I get everything I ever wanted, but I end up in hell? Psst, that's hot. I don't want that. I get it, Jesus. You're just saying, be careful because if I chase after things that take me away from a relationship with you, I'll end up in hell. Got it. I comprendo. But I started looking at it again and I'm like, Jesus talks about hell a lot. He has no problem talking about hell. He's comfortable having conversations about hell, yet he never talks about hell in this passage at all. So then it started messing with my head a little bit. I said, wait a second, wait a second, Jesus. If you're not talking about if I chase after the wrong things, they'll kill me and I'll end up dead. I don't get to enjoy them. If you're not saying I chase after the wrong things and I end up in hell, which is scary, so I don't want to do that, right? That's not the thing. But you're saying I chase after the wrong things, yet I forfeit my soul. I give up my soul to do it. And what in the world are you talking about? What's my soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What's the value of my soul? He's not talking about that. So what is the value of my soul? You know, what's funny is every once in a while, someone tries to sell a soul. We see it in pop culture. We see it in the world all the time. We've seen it through plays and movies and TV shows and cartoons. I think Homer Simpson sold his soul for a donut one time when I was a kid. And uh, he, he ate all but the last of it. And then he left it in the refrigerator and said, do not eat soul donut, right? I don't know, maybe I'm dating myself there back in the days. But, uh, but, but <clears throat> maybe I'll move a little bit forward in time. There was a woman who tried to sell her soul on eBay. She had gotten in a car accident and she needed to raise $2,000. So she posted her soul for sale for $2,000. What a deal. And it put eBay in a tough spot because eBay had to decide some things about what a soul is. Because one of eBay's requirements is you have to be in a position to deliver whatever it is you sell. How does one deliver a soul? Then they had to deal with the fact that you're not allowed to sell imaginary things. Is a soul even real? Does it exist? And lastly, they had to deal with this tension of, you're not allowed to sell body parts. Every once in a while you hear someone tries to sell a kidney or something on eBay, right? You can't sell body parts. You can't sell imaginary things. You can't sell things you can't deliver. So they were able to veto the sale of this woman's soul. But it created this tension. What is a soul? And if there is a soul, what is its value? And what can I do with my soul? Is it just a word? Or is it something more? And then the scripture tells us that God took the earth from the ground and he breathed into it and the man became a living soul. What 
is a soul. So Jesus says nothing else has value if we lose it. And it matters. Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, our soul is like a stream of water. That's the picture we saw in the parable. And it gives strength, direction, and listen to this, harmony to every other area of our life. Dallas said the soul is the thing that integrates, moves through all the pieces of your life and gives it direction, gives it integration, moves it in a direction. Jesus says nothing else on this earth has value if you compromise it, if you lose it. God says that's the thing you became when I breathed my breath into you and created life. We instinctively recognize it must be super important, but what is it? How does it work? And what does it need? So for the next month, I'm gonna walk through uh, and unpackage this idea of what our soul is. And, and like I said, I apologize. This is a little bit different if you're new with us. I don't always teach quite this way. I'm gonna be a little bit teachy today. I'm gonna hope that it makes some sense for you. And then in the next several weeks, I'm gonna unpackage kind of the different things that our soul actually needs so that we can maintain it and manage it. And, and again, I'm gonna um, absolutely just preach uh, through a lot of the stuff that's uh, in the book here that has absolutely radically affected and hit me. And I'm gonna take us through the word of God to make this all make sense. But in order to understand the soul for just a few minutes, I need to break down the different parts of us according to the scripture so that we can understand what the soul kind of is according to the word of God. And, and the example I'm going to use to kind of break this down for you is in the book of Mark. <laughs> Excuse me. And it says one time the gospel, uh, one time in the, uh, the gospel writer Mark tells us that a man came to Jesus and asked him, said, hey, Jesus, what's the most important law? What's the most important thing that I get right? Help me understand what I have to do here on earth to get this thing right so you and I can be in right relationship. And Jesus responded by something that you've heard a ton of times, but I'm gonna break it down for you. He says, Jesus says, okay, I got you here. You've gotta love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. They're integrated there's no commandment greater than this. He goes, listen, there's many parts of you. You got a heart, you got a soul, you got a mind, you got strength, and you got relationships. And if you wanna get this thing right, you wanna know what the ultimate, greatest, main, primary commandment, you wanna know how to live here on earth in a way that puts you into integration and relationship with me, you take all those parts of you and you point them at loving God. You point them at loving God. This response gives us a clue into the elements of each individual person. I'm gonna give you kind of a little, a little chart here. And if I lose you, I'm gonna lose you right here. I'll bring you back at the end, but I want you to kind of see this and follow me for a second here. <clears throat> In the scriptures, your heart, when Jesus talks about your heart, he's not talking about that organ that pumps blood to your body. We all have one of those. So it'd be true if he said you have a heart and you gotta love God with all your heart. I don't know how you love God with an organ. That's weird. But he's really talking about, when he talks about your heart, the scriptures call that your will or your spirit. Your will or your spirit is your heart. And Jesus says, you have got to love God with all of your heart. And we all have a heart. It's at the center it's a, of our will. It's our individual will. It's what makes us us. It's I want this, I don't want that. I like this, I don't like that. I wanna do this, I don't wanna do that. It's my will, it's my spirit, it's my choice. My spirit sometimes is willing, but my flesh is weak, right? My want to, it's my I got to, it's my I should or I should not. It's that piece of me that measures the circumstances says yes to this, no to that. I want this, I don't want that. It's in our core. Let me give you an example. Tonight, before I go to bed, my spirit, my will, my heart's gonna say, set your alarm early and get up and exercise. That's my want to. It's limited in its power. It is dependent on many other parts of me being in harmony. But my want to, my heart, my spirit <clears throat> makes those kinds of choices, those kinds of distinctions. It leans into that. It's the core of our being. It directs us, but it is limited. When we will something really badly, it doesn't often make it come into existence. I want so badly for this to have a lot of money today. Didn't happen, but I really want it. It's my want to. 
our will is limited, but it's in the core of who we are. It makes those kinds of decisions. The problem with the will is it doesn't have authority to get things done. It requires more than willpower. It requires healthy habits, not just willpower, but that's later on. We'll get there. The second thing, and you notice that soul's not up there yet. We're going to get to soul. The second thing he says is love God with all your heart, soul, mind. So what's your mind? Our mind is where our thoughts and feelings come together. The way we feel about things, the way we think about things, the way we process information, the way we look at our circumstance, the way we look at our life, that's our mind. The scriptures tell us over and over and over again, there is a battle for our mind. Paul says in Romans that you can't be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way you think will determine the way you behave. That's uh, Proverbs 4.23. Your thinking and your actions are connected. It dictates things. And here's the problem is many of us lose the battle for our mind. The way we feel about things, the way we think about things, what we actually get ourselves to do. Our mind is often able to overpower our will. You don't really want to get up early. You're going to be tired all day tomorrow. You're going to be grumpy. You don't want to be sore. Our mind can take us into all kinds of places. Some of the worst things that you've experienced have been in your mind. They didn't even necessarily happen. Someone didn't text you back right away and you started thinking, oh, you know what they're doing? And you got a whole scenario in your mind. You've let your mind run wild. Our mind has a tendency to get away from us. Our mind has a tendency to lead us into things that, that were, are not healthy for us, are not life-giving. So the scriptures tell us time and time again, you got to get the reins on your mind because your mind will run away from you. That's why people say they lost their mind. Problem is so often we dwell on things that are damaging, negative So we dwell on other scenarios, our our memories uh, and values and conscience all come formed out of our mind. And the scripture is telling us over and over again, we got to transform our mind. We got to transform our mind. We got to focus our mind and think like Jesus. We got to allow the character and nature of Jesus to influence the way we think. But then we lay down at night and we're like, oh, if I only had whatever the thing is. And our mind goes off and we lose the battle for our mind. Romans chapter eight, verse six says it this way. Paul says, the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and is peace. He says, there is a battle and a war going on for your mind and the things you think about will determine the destiny of your life. You know somebody that just can't get over, they're thinking about the same thing over and over and over again. It's like, stop. Every time you see them, you know, it's just a matter of time before they're like, oh, did you hear what so-and-so did again this time? You're like, stop. Stop giving them all your power. Stop thinking about it all the time. Stop staying in that. All right, you're with me. Jesus says you got to love him with all your mind. Then our strength. We have a body. Bodies are awesome. It's like our power pack to actually do things. It's the gift God's given us to actually move and do things. And our mind is networked into our body and our will is networked into our body. And our body gives us the ability to see things and do things. And, and we have to care for our body. We have to feed it, rest it, clothe it, exercise it. It's where all the work happens. And, and our bodies are amazing, but they're not the whole of who we are because we know things about our body. Like we know the scripture says, though our spirit is willing, our body's often weak. Our body often doesn't want to do it, doesn't obey, not under control. It leans after things that we don't want it to lean after. It lusts after things we don't want it to lust after. It moves in directions we don't want it to go. It's not as strong as we we want it to be. It's not, it cannot be in control of our lives all by ourselves. We're more than just a body. We can't just be stuck there. And then we have relationships. He says, love your neighbor as yourselves. He says, you're networked into relationships. And a big piece of my identity is my relationships. I know that I'm Laura Allison's son. I know who she is and my legacy because of that. I know that, that Chia is my grandmother. And I know the legacy that's there. And, and Ernesto Nelson is my grandfather and the legacy that's there. I know who I am in, in conjunction to that. I know that I'm a husband in my relationships. I know that I'm a father 
and that I'm a role model. I know all of those pieces of my identity because of my relationships. And I know who I am because of my friends and the people who know me intimately and know my inner circle. You know, it was really funny. Uh, one pastor was talking about how there was a study, and this is one of those studies that are peculiar only to churches. And, uh, and you know, it's a totally weighted study, so it's not scientifically uh, helpful, but it's funny. And the study was they studied uh, church-going people who were in small groups and who were not in small groups. And their conclusion was, you are 50% more likely to die if you're not in a small group. So their slogan was, get in a small group or die. Which is an effective marketing slogan, I think. But what is the point? The point is we're designed for relationship. You know you're designed for relationship. You identify by your relationships. You know who you are as you bounce up against other people who love you. And iron sharpens iron and your, your identity is formed. And all of these are parts of who you are. You have relationships and they're essential. And finally, we get to the soul. And the soul is this entire capsulation of all of the parts that are you. The soul is the thing that integrates all of the pieces that are you and leads it into a Direction, when our soul is connected to Christ and functioning with him, our life is integrated. Everything is working together the way it was designed to do. It binds our parts together. It unites us. It points us in a healthy way to be who God has created us to be in a relationship with him. Jesus, the brother of James, when he wrote his letter to the church, he talked about someone who had a problem with their soul. And he said in verse eight of chapter one, he goes, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And the word for double-minded there is dipsukos, which is a conjunction of two words, die meaning two, and sukos meaning souls. And he says, listen, a person with two souls is unstable. A person whose soul is moving in two directions is unstable. A person whose soul is not integrated, whose mind, body, soul, our spirit, relationship are moving in different, opposing, opposite directions. That person is not integrated. They are disintegrated. And because those things are moving in different directions, you have now become dual souled or broken souled. And because your soul is not integrated, you become unstable in everything you do. When our soul starts to stray from Jesus, it pushes against the rest of who we are. and We begin to be disintegrated in our life. We begin to feel fractured and broken. We know on the inside, something's just not right. I'm going through life, but something's off. Something doesn't feel right. And we start looking at this disintegration of our lives. That's why Jesus says, you wanna be integrated, you gotta love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And you gotta love your neighbor as yourself. Sin is what separates us from God and damages our soul. Sin is what causes those things to disintegrate. And here's the problem. When our soul is disintegrated like that, Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, if your soul is healthy, then no external circumstance can destroy your life. When your soul is integrated, when your will and your body and your mind are moving in the same direction in a relationship with Jesus, there's not an external circumstance that can devastate your life. You've seen people go through absolute catastrophic things. And you've been like, man, if that happened to me, I would, pfft, the wheels would just come off. I'd be in the room. I'd like a, you know, I'd, I'd just forget about life. I'm out. And you see people walk through difficult, difficult things. And they're, they're just, you know, they're definitely grieving, but they're going through that thing like they're okay. And what is that? That's a sign of a stable, integrated, unified soul. The pieces of them are connected and going in the right direction. He also goes on to say, if your soul is unhealthy, no external circumstance can redeem your life. When your soul is fragmented and moving in different directions, when your will and your body aren't aligned and your mind isn't aligned and those things are going in different directions, there, you can hit the lottery and your world can fall apart. Nothing can save or satiate that. Let me make this make sense. I'll have Jesus help us. I lost some of you there. It's okay. Mark chapter four. Jesus tells a parable. It's one of his first parables. And you're familiar with the parable, so this will help you integrate this thinking even to your head. And Jesus is by the lake and the crowds gathered around him and it was so large that he has to get into a boat. 
And as he gets out into the boat, he drifts out into the lake. This is impressive use of the lake's acoustics so that everyone can hear him. All the people start edging along the shore at the water's edge. And he talks, and his, his voice is carrying across the waters. <clears throat> and it says he taught them by many parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen. I love that. Mark's like, listen, exclamation point. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, you know this story. It's going to make sense to you in just a minute. Because as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they didn't bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. You know that story, the parable of the sower, it's often called. Although it's interesting to me that it's called the parable of the sower, I would call it the parable of the soil. Because throughout the story, the sower is consistent. He never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is consistent. He is God. He is loving indiscriminately the soil that's beneath him. He is casting his truth, the same truth, the same life, the same hope, the same word to everyone, irregardless of their position. He's throwing the seed. The interesting thing here, the thing that shifts and changes is the soil. And Jesus is painting a picture, and, and the disciples don't get it. They have to ask him for help to understand it. But he's saying, hey, God is the same. The truth is the same. His word is the same. The hope that's available is the same. You all have the same opportunity to do it. The difference is the state of you, the integrated piece of you. What kind of soil are you? How is your soul? Are you ready to receive what God sent you? So they struggle with this. And they wrestle with it. And Jesus says, there's, there's some different kinds of people, so what's the state of your soul? Because the state of your soul is going to determine your integration and your connection with God. What is the state of your soul? How is it? The first thing he says is there's a hardened soul. There's a hardened soul. Some people are like seed along the path, he says, where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away, and the word that was sown in them. He says, some people have a hardened soul. Let me ask you this. You ever met someone with a hardened soul? Someone who's so hard that nothing can get in? Their defense is up all the time. They won't let anyone pass the exterior. It doesn't matter how big a truth bomb you drop on them. Hey, God loves you. Nobody loves me. I have to do this on my own. Hey, I want to help. Nobody wants to help me. You've met someone with a hardened soul. Usually a hardened soul takes its root from a place of unforgiveness and pride. Somewhere they got wronged. Somewhere they're carrying a wound. Somewhere something didn't work out the way they expected it. They had an unmet expectation and they can't forgive and their pride won't let them deal with it. Now I was thinking about a path. You know, I used to, I used to live for a long time in the shack that had a bunch of acres behind it. And we'd walk back there. There was like almost 200 acres back there and there's snakes and bats and crazy things. But we'd walk back there and hunters would hunt back there and there were some trails that showed up. Now nobody ever went back there and, and paved those trails. Why were those trails there? Because feet had walked over and 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 over again on those places. That's how you get a path. And you know somebody, I'm being really nice, I'm not making you personalize this. I'm letting you throw this on somebody else for just a minute here. You know somebody who feels like they've been walked on to a place where they just aren't gonna let anyone else in ever again. They're done. They got a hardened soul. And it doesn't matter what truth you deposit into them. It doesn't matter if you say, hey, there's freedom on the other side of this. You can, get for, you can forgive, you can let go. You're carrying weight you're not designed to carry. There's a place where you can break through. You can experience radical change. Christ came, died for you, paid the price, not so you can get better, so you can be a new creation. You don't even have to carry the past of that anymore. Let me deposit some truth into you. And they're just like, nope. It never gets past that surface. And the picture that Jesus says, it's like Satan just comes and snags that right off their soul. 
It never gets in. It never penetrates. It never becomes real for them. It never gets past head knowledge. That's a hardened soul. Jesus says there's another kind of soul. There's a shallow soul. He says others, like seed sown on a rocky place, they hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, oh man, that's good. You can underline that when you get your actual Bible out later. I know you don't have it right now. Don't worry about it. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. And when troubles or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Listen, some of the greatest wounds you've ever carried were because people you knew had shallow souls. You got into a relationship with them and it lit up for a moment. You were like, oh, this is awesome. You like, you like baseball? I like baseball. Awesome. You like Jesus? I like Jesus. Awesome. Let's hang out. Let's get coffee. This will be cool. This will be great. And you've integrated into their world. And then something hard happened. Someone got sick. Someone died. A financial issue. A job change. Anything happened. And the first moment that something hard happened, they're like, see you later. Call me when your life's perfect again. You want to get coffee again. What is that? That's a shallow soul. That's saying on the surface level, I'm going to present life, but I won't go deep. I can't penetrate beyond the surface. I'm not interested in going to those deep places where the real core of you exists. Jesus says you do this too often. You guard and you're really the same as the hardened path because just one level lower, you're just as hard as they are. So there's no chance for a root to take place. There's no chance for actual transformation to take place. You've seen this all. Can I talk to church people for a second? All right, church people. You're my people, right? Listen, we see this all the time. All the time. Every time there's a big um, Easter event or outreach thing or moment, and there's this emotional response to the truth of God where you say, hey, my life isn't everything I always wanted. Maybe I'll give Jesus a try and we'll see how this goes. And there's this moment of response, but there's no willingness to go deep and deal with any of the issues or the change or the transformation that has to happen. I just want to test the waters. So I'm in a situation right now. I'll just throw some out here. Financially, I'm not doing well. Jesus! And I'll test him. And if it works, awesome, I'm in. If it doesn't, ah, eh, I tried it, but it didn't work for me. I went to church for a little while. I threw 10 bucks in the bag and it went by and I didn't get a miraculous pile of money to pay my electric bill. And so I didn't work. I'm not in. My favorite one, and this happened at summer camps. I did summer camps for years and years and years and years and years. So back in the old days, um, uh, if you're under probably 16, you don't know this world, but we used to actually have to buy real music like on CDs and things. Okay, tapes, come on. Eight tracks, some of you guys. We had to buy music that way, right? And to play the music, we had to actually carry that cartridge, whatever it was, with us. As we carried it with us, we had to play it, put it into the player to play it. So we'd get to camps, and you'd have your player, whatever it was, disc band, if you were really cool, walk band, if you were a little less cool, my time. And you'd have your music. And about the third night of camp, everyone would be like, I got to get my life right with Jesus. And the thing that's holding me back is this music. So they'd have this bonfire and you'd take whatever, you know, was holding you back in your relationship with Jesus and you'd throw it on there. And then you'd leave camp and you'd be like, I really miss my Run DMC CD. <laughs> and so you'd get into one of these catalogs and it would be like 12 CDs for a dollar Come on. But if you don't cancel at the 12th one, the 13th one cost $125. So you better pay attention. And you'd get those 12 CDs and you'd reload your whole supply. Why? Because you didn't take any roots. You were just emotionally looking for something more. You were testing God. And it didn't work out how you thought it should work out. So you didn't actually change your life. You didn't actually commit to that. You didn't have no roots. Jesus says, same God, same truth, no roots, no willingness, shallow souls. First sign of trouble, you're out. This one messes me up. Third kind of soul. He says, there's a cluttered soul. It's growing up next to weeds. 
There's too much going on. So still others like the seed sown among the thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. It's a cluttered life. It's a cluttered soul. Jesus says, you don't want to have a cluttered soul. You're trying to go multiple directions at once. You are disintegrated. I know so many people who are stuck here. They never clean the stream. They're okay with the water that's supposed to be feeding their soul, commingling with things that shouldn't be going on. This is the person who's literally disintegrated. They're saying, in my heart, I want this, but in my body, I want this. So I'm gonna give my body to this, but I'm gonna try to keep my heart over here with Jesus. I'm gonna try to keep my mind over here. I'm gonna try to think about Jesus things, but I'm gonna let my will go this direction and just really desire things I know that don't honor God. This person is disintegrated. They're cluttered. They're pushing. This, you know, you know what things are, are always present in these people? These are people who can never be satisfied and never be satiated, right? Their spouse is never good looking enough. Their kids are never smart enough. Their house is never big enough. Their account's never full enough. Their boss is never good enough to them. Their coworkers never give them enough respect. Whatever the thing is, they're disintegrated. Why? Because their soul is operating along another system. There's two systems. They're dipsukos. There's two systems going on in their life at once. They're trying to go two directions and it's disintegrated. And this is who Jesus is talking about specifically when he says, you're trying to gain the whole world, but you've disintegrated. Come on now, your soul. The parts of you are moving in different directions and suddenly it looks like this hot mess. And all the parts are there. All the pieces are there but the soul is fragmented and fractured and you go home and you put your head on the pillow and you just know deeply within yourself that something's wrong. You're like, I don't understand. I went to church. I greeted, I wrote a check, I whatevered. Why don't I feel better about my life and where it's going? And, and you don't wanna have the honest self-reflection of, well, I'm probably not giving my body to the right things. I probably let my mind dwell on things that I shouldn't be letting my mind dwell on. I probably don't, I'm letting my will, even though I'm doing things that I should be doing, I don't want those things. I really want other things. I'm allowing my will to just run rampant in my life. And Jesus says, that is disintegration. He says, that person, though they may present well on the outside, will always be unfruitful. They'll always be unfruitful. They won't have the ability to reproduce life. Why? Because they can never be satisfied what they have. How can they breathe life into somebody else? They're stuck. And Jesus says, yeah, that seed gets in there, that cluttered soul. Last, he talks about a healthy soul. We're almost done. Mark 4.20 says, others like seed sown in the good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop. Listen to this, 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. He says, a healthy soul, one that's integrated, like puzzle pieces that are going together. When your mind, when your heart, when your body, when your relationships, when your soul is integrated and moving towards Jesus, when you're receiving the words of God and they're bringing life into you and your perspective is under this uh, understanding of God's perspective of what could be and your faith is integrated and your life is integrated. Jesus says those kind of people are so contagious. It literally reproduces life in other people, other dead places that didn't even catch the seed because seeds start shaking out of them. They're the kind of people you get around because you're like, when I hang out with them, I just feel better about me. I don't know what it is, but truth comes out of them. Their perspective is healthy. The life that comes out of them produces life in me. And Jesus says, those are the kinds of people who change the world. They got one soul. They're integrated, they're healthy, they're whole. So let me ask you this question. What's the state of your soul? In the next several weeks, I know this was heady and you're gonna have to probably listen to the podcast if you care and try to catch up. You might wanna get the book. I just would recommend it. Um, if you have a way 
that you can't get the book, a reason you can't get the book, talk to me. I will do my best. I've probably given away 14 or 15 of them now. Like I said, I bought all the, all the used ones and just gave them away. But I want to know the state of your soul. Would you stand with me? And we're going to pray. And as we walk on this journey, I want you to know what's at stake. Your ability to reproduce life in others, to impact those in your family that need life those in your friendship circle that need life, those in your neighborhood that need life, those in your community of, of work and other relationships that need life, your ability to impact them and deposit life into them is contingent on you taking care of, you're like, Pastor Mike, it's all me, it's all me. What about Jesus? Jesus did the work, redeemed you, made you new, brought you new, brought you to, to newness, but you are responsible for the state of your soul. You own that, you're the keeper of the stream. I can't farm that out. You can't farm that to me. I can't do that for you. I have to do that for me. You have to do that for you. The potential life reproduction that can happen through you and out of you is based on whether or not you manage your soul. So the soul needs some things. And next week, we're gonna talk about how the soul needs a center. It needs a direction, a purpose, a way to go. And we're gonna start unpacking things from there. We're gonna spend some weeks doing that. I'm not gonna preach the whole book because that would take all the way to, through Christmas. Um, but I'm just gonna uh, pull some, some key things out for you guys. But before we close today, I just wanna ask you the question, how's your soul? As I talk through the states of souls, have you struggled with a hard soul? Have you been hurt? frustrated, angry, untrusting, has pride swelled up in such a way that you can't give someone else a chance anymore and no amount of truth can penetrate because you've hardened the state of your soul. Jesus says, when you do that, you can't even receive the truth he's happy to give you. The enemy will just rip it away because you've hardened up so tough that truth can't get in. Has your soul been too hard? Has your soul been shallow? Have you been in a test God in C mode? Have you been in a, okay, let's try this for a minute. And if it gets better, I'm in. But you got no roots. You're not in for the deep things of God. And you're not gonna give away the pieces of you, those, those deep places your, where your will is, where your mind goes at night. You're not willing to do that. But you'll do some behavior modification and see if it works out for you. Jesus is saying that kind of disintegration, it flourishes for a moment, but it doesn't last because there's no root. Have you been in a place where the clutter of this world has just merged itself with your soul and you're dipsuchos, you're too sold right now. There's multiple agendas in you right now. And one of them is make sure my Jesus thing is okay. But as long as I feel okay about that, I wanna pursue all these other things. And Jesus is like, man, you're chasing after the things that the world's telling you is important. And what good is it if you gain all those things but fracture the core of your identity and who you are and never, listen, one of the things Dallas says in here that just rocks me is he goes, it's not what you do, it's who you become. The goal isn't what you do. The goal is who you become. And some of us gotta work more on becoming who we're supposed to be instead of doing what we think we should get done. And can you imagine that this body right here got a hold of this thinking and was just committed to saying, when I feel the tension in me that these things don't line up, I'm not gonna just squish that. I'm gonna deal with it. When I feel inside of me, something's off. My will, the things I want aren't the right things. My mind, the things I'm letting my mind go to, they're not the right things. Something's off in me. Where is that? You know you, know you can talk to your soul it's all throughout the scripture. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? When's the last time you just looked in the mirror and said, why is my soul so angry? Why is my soul so frustrated? Why is my soul so jealous? Why is my soul so uncontent? Why is my soul so mean? Why is my soul, you can talk to your soul. Pastor Mike, that's like schizophrenia. Hmm? David was schizophrenic then. I'm just telling you, if we start shifting our paradigm and understanding you're more than just your thoughts, you're more than just your will, you're more than just your body, you are a soul. You've had life breathed into you by the living God. You are complicated, but you are designed to be integrated and go into one direction and one place in his will. So God, this morning, I pray for my hard soul friends that have been just battling, not wanting to let anything in. I'm not letting anything into this heart 
And I'm here, but it's a fight even just being here today. God, would you soften hearts and restore and renew, break hardened places. Your word paints a picture of you as like a potter with the clay, able to take broken hard pieces and and remold them into things that are soft and life-giving and healthy. God, I pray for those of us that have been in a just kind of test you out mode. I'm here, but I ain't sure yet. I'm not committed. I'm not leaving my old life behind. I'm just going to try this life on and see if it helps. God, we want to go to deep, authentic places with you. That's, that's inconsistent and it's rooted in selfishness and it's just a waste of everybody's time and it doesn't last. And there's some of us here, God, and we've been cluttered. We've had other things in our flesh and in our mind and our will is dreamt and longed for that have just left us divided and not chasing you. Oh, we know you're there and we know what's supposed to happen, but we want all this other stuff too. And you're looking at that saying, there's no way you can produce fruit with those weeds sucking all the nourishment out of your soul. You're disintegrated. God, would you be the divine gardener of our heart and of our lives? You describe yourself as the vine dresser or the gardener. So we give you permission, permission to weed, to remove, to replace. God, we want to be that, that, that integrated, united soul, com- completely consistent in our thinking and in our actions and in our heart, all pointed towards you and your will because we recognize that when that happens, what comes out of us is reproductive life in others. Not only do we experience everything you have for us, and and it's not like you don't want us to have anything. Your word says if we seek you first, your kingdom and your righteousness, then you'll add all these things to us. You actually want to provide for us. You just want to be first. And if we did that right, it could literally transform our homes, our families, our relationships, our community. And how cool would that be if you did that through us? That's what we want. So we love you and we thank you. And we just wanna be honest. Here's our soul. We trust you with it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.